Blaze with another episode of the How I Learned series podcast. This time we have Joe Vikes, who is a writer and a comedian. He's uh, contributed to The New Yorker, McSweeney's, The All, Split Cider. He was also briefly the official t-shirt cannon shooter for the Chicago Desire bikini basketball team. But you probably already knew that. Here he is telling a story at How I Learned to Lie, Cheat, or Steal. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Um, I'm really happy to be reading in this really swanky fire hazard. (laughs) We're all going to die, but we're going to look good doing it. Um, This is my first time telling a true story. (laughs) Like ever. Um, So bear with me. Like bearing my soul. So I was riding over the Williamsburg Bridge into Manhattan on my ex-girlfriend's purple childhood bike. I was wearing a cheap blazer, dressed up for a job interview, and I was desperate. That day I had to choose between riding the subway to the interview or buying lunch. Thankfully, my ex was kind enough to lend me her bike. She was also kind enough to let me stay on her couch. I had just returned from a long backpacking trip which I foolishly spent all of my savings on. When I got back, she told me that she had cheated on me, but that I could stay at her place until I got my life together. (laughs) That week, I had been bumming around the city on her bike, looking for work. It was right after the stock market crashed, and it was hard to get even a dishwashing job, which was basically all my creative writing degree qualified me for. That day I was going to beg an old boss to give me back my old coffee shop job, the one I had through college. It was for this family company that owned a few coffee shops throughout the village. There were rumors that it was once a front for the mob. A junkie customer once explained how he used to buy heroin from the tea jars that lined the back walls of the shop. We all wondered about the legitimacy of the claim. The owner, Pete, did carry a pistol in an ankle holster, but who knows? Pete agreed to set me up in their East Village shop on St. Mark's. To my enormous relief, I could start the next day. I arrived at the shop early, hoping to make a good impression. The store itself was tiny. It didn't even have a full address. It was 42 and a half. Inside, there was an espresso bar, and large burlap sacks of coffee beans were stacked throughout the store. The air was stuffy with burlap fibers and coffee dust. In the back was a tiny break room the size of a closet, and inside that there was a a door that led to an even smaller bathroom. Inside the bathroom, uh, someone pasted on the toilet this photo of a a screaming child. I don't don't know why. No one knew why. (laughs) And you had to flush the toilet by pouring this giant bucket of water just into it. You couldn't, there was, I don't think it was up to health code. yeah, my new, my new co-workers were a strange group of misfits, as is common at sort of a lower-wage job. Um, there was Megan, who regularly had acid flashbacks while working. <laughs> there was Dawn, who was schizophrenic and also racist. <laughs> I knew she was racist because the phantom people she saw were apparently black, and she was not kind to them. <laughs> There, there was Vinny also, who um, he had just gotten out of Sing Sing for armed robbery. 
He was arrested at 17 and got an adult sentence because of Giuliani's stricter laws. He talked with an old New York accent, like a character in a 50s gangster movie. When we'd leave work, he'd walk close to the storefronts, like he was still in the yard. He also walked with a limp because, as he told it to me, a group of COs were trying to get him to rat on the other prisoners, and he was worried what would happen to him if he ratted on them. So uh, he decked one of the CEOs in the face, and then they just beat the shit out of him. So basically, during your shift, the power would regularly short out, and the boss, Pete, was too cheap to fix it. So you'd have to run to the fuse box, which was behind a tower of 50-pound burlap sacks of coffee, and you'd have to lift all the bags off and then flip the surge protector, then restack them, and then run back and finish the order. And the, the tiny burlap fibers from the bags, they would like get in your hands and they really, they really hurt. And, and then the next person would show up in line and then the power would shut off and then you would, you, this just kept going for eight hours. Um, on my lunch breaks, I'd buy a slice of that like awful dollar pizza on St. Mark's, you know? And like, it's so bad that you have to like eat it before you have a chance to get nauseated. Like you have to eat it like really fast. But I couldn't afford anything else and I really needed to save up for a security deposit. Sometimes I'd try to calculate how many days I'd need to work before I could save up enough money. Then, it, realizing it'd take about a decade, I'd listen to Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark on my headphones and mouth along the lyrics and just kind of sob. By the end of each shift, I was almost too exhausted to ride my tiny bike home to sleep on my ex's couch while she and her new boyfriend loud, loudly shared the room nearby. Um, as weeks passed, the shifts did get a little bit easier. One reason was that Vinny and I became closer, mainly because I love scams. One of my one of my proudest lifetime achievements was I, I like forged a bus pass in Pittsburgh and I just rode for free for a year. <laughs> no, one, no one ever knew. It was, the, it was the best year of my life. And so basically Vinny is the master of scams. Um, he's probably the best scammer in the world, except for the one time he got caught. Uh, so like one time he bought a tattoo gun and was offering to tattoo anyone for free. He said he needed the practice. And then he'd mess up and then charge you to fix it. <laughs> Another time on his lunch break, he left rolling this giant cooler filled with water behind him. And he, he returned to work with $200, having sold all the water in the park. I got a date tonight, he explained. He once bought a suit from a thrift store and wore it to work, and he had business cards printed up that were covered in dollar signs and read only, Vinny, professional. <laughs> it didn't say what he was professional at. Needless to say, he got a lot of local business owners to just buy him free lunch to, like, consult. <laughs> and a lot of the customers were pretty cool, too. Like, if you really liked them, you remembered their order. Like there was George, that was a double, sh double shot of espresso with a dollop of froth. Um, he would come in at 4.30 p.m. every day and on the, way to pick, on the way to pick up his kids from school. We'd give him his coffee for free in exchange for a bag of fried plantain chips and whatever bootleg DVDs he'd recently downloaded. 
I'd get a little starstruck every time Tom Verlaine, he played in the band television, he'd come in. Uh, he, he would get a Guatemala Antigua, ground for Melita. And uh, Louis C.K. came in a lot. And he, yeah, he would get um, Columbia, also ground for Melita. Um, Columbia Supremo. Uh, there was an elderly old man named William who got a small coffee that was black. Um, and he was in his 70s and had gotten his entire face tattooed like that, like that week. <laughs> his justification was that he was getting old and why not? And uh, finally, I, I can't waste too much time here. Uh, there was Joe Bird and he would get a single shot of espresso, black. And uh, he got his nickname because Joe Bird. He got his nickname because supers would pay him to get rid of the pigeons in their building. And then he'd work this amazing scam where he'd double his money by selling the pigeons back to, to restaurants. And I, I don't know what, I, he still does it and he's around here. So, so I don't know what you ate for dinner, but. Yeah. And very gradually there was a sign of financial hope. It started after the time I was urinated on. I was sitting on the bench outside when a woman's dog, she was walking it, just peed on my leg. I told her it happens all the time. <laughs> Regardless, she gave me $20 for dry cleaning. Since it only costs a few quarters to go to the laundromat, I had turned a significant profit. <laughs> and slowly, with the help of Vinny's keen ability to work a scam, there were soon other means of making a little extra money. For example, Whenever somebody tried to parallel park outside the store, we'd go outside and watch them and yell advice. Most people can't parallel park when people are watching them yelling advice. And then they'd give up and we'd do it for $10. We were, all, we were also right, yeah, it was great. We were also right near Stomp and like tourists would always like loiter around and uh, Vinny would go out in his suit and tell them that they had to pay a standing tax because they were there <laughs> too long. And he, and he would say like, only in New York, and, and they'd like pay him. <laughs> so pretty soon I, I stopped eating dollar pizza and I started eating Mamoon's falafel. Just like, yeah, it's like double. And then the security deposit was suddenly reachable. It was two months away rather than a decade. And one day in the middle of a terrible thunderstorm, a guy ran into the shop, soaked, in complete panic. I need sacks, he yelled. Okay, um, how many sacks do you need? Five? Six? It's for a sack race, and I'm late. <laughs> he slammed two $20 bills on our counter. We put the bills in our tip jar, and got into the sack business. <laughs> we also realized that we could trade our coffee for other local goods. And using our price gun, we could mark up the value of the coffee we traded to get better items in return. It's like a double scam. I quickly graduated from eating Mamoon's falafel for lunch to eating at Paul's to burger joint. And I was getting enough money that I could move in a matter of weeks. I gleefully started looking for new places. But then we took it too far. It costs exactly $2 for a nice coffee. And often customers would just come in and they were really impatient and they just put their money on the counter and get it and leave. 
And one day, Vinny and I sort of eyed each other, and then we eyed the $2 on the counter, and into the tip jar it went. And this was stealing, like plain and simple. <laughs> this was not a scam anymore. This was just taking money. <laughs> but we had gotten a taste for the finer things in life. <laughs> like $7 cheeseburgers. And we wanted more. Gradually, we got more daring, putting increasingly more money into the tip jar instead of the register. One night, when we counted our tips at the end of the shift, we realized in horror that we had taken over $600. It escalated really quickly. <laughs> we were screwed. There's no way Pete, our boss, wouldn't miss $600. As soon as I got home, I googled larceny. <laughs> then I googled grand larceny which turns out isn't the better of the larcenies. <laughs> I stayed up the whole night thinking about my boss, who was probably definitely in the mob, or at the very least had access to a firearm. I thought about how Vinny walked with a limp because of prison and how he was still on parole, so he'd probably have to go back to Sing Sing for a while, but, you know, maybe we could be cellmates. <laughs> and it would be a new place, so... <laughs> a few weeks later, I got a call from my boss. Joe. You know those surveillance cameras we have in the store? My heart stopped. Surveillance cameras? I looked up and noticed a tiny one hiding in the corner in the ceiling. I'm not good at stealing things. It's like the first thing I should have noticed. It took me 30 seconds to answer. I, I sweat through my shirt, kind of like what I'm doing now. Yeah? I need you to rewind the tapes for me so that they can start over and continue recording. And that was that. We were free. A few weeks later, I moved to a new apartment that my ex-girlfriend didn't live with her new boyfriend in. And it was all because of that stolen money. And at the shop, we were officially done with all scams. I hung up a sign behind the counter that said in big block letters, this is a scam-free zone. I think customers really appreciated the sentiment. Of course, I, I still feel guilty about it all. And more than anything, I worry about how much easier it is to sort of lie and cheat and steal. I, I worked that in. Yeah. And how because of this, honesty and kindness will never be the default for people, but some sort of difficult to achieve ideal that takes patience and effort. And to me, that's kind of sad. But I'm kind of a hypocrite also. Years later, when I returned to the shop for the first time in a while, I felt this wave of nostalgia as I paid for my coffee with one of the dozens of gift certificates I stole from the store the day I quit. <laughs> it was the last scam Vinny and I ever pulled. Uh, thank you. Hope you enjoyed that story by Joe Vikes. You can find out more about him on Tumblr, joevikes.tumblr.com. That's J-O-E-V-E-I-X. And you can learn more about the How I Learn series at howilearnseries.com. The shows are created, produced, and hosted by me, Blaze Alice Kearsley. And the podcast is produced and edited by Ben Fausch. The music you're hearing is Day After Day by Badfinger. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>